I had to apologize to Debbie recently for a very poor decision that I made. I have your attention now, right? (laughs) It was a decision that, had I chosen otherwise, would have made our family very, very wealthy. It would have paid off the house, fully funded all of our kids' college, our own retirement, probably bought a couple new cars. Now I have all of your attention. Back in 2014 or 2015, I don't exactly remember when it happened. Thank you, Andy, for the cover you gave me. Uh, (laughs) A guy in our former church offered to gift me 100 Bitcoin. I was like, what is Bitcoin? He said, it's a cryptocurrency. It uses data mining to generate wealth. And I was like, can you spend it? He said, well, not now. Maybe someday. We don't know. But I'd like to give this to you. And I said, listen, when I was younger, I almost bought this stock, and then it ended up being nothing, and I'm a little gun-shy about it. I just, I don't like investing in stuff I don't understand. I I don't know about this. And the whole, like, multi-level marketing thing was just exploding then, and I was a little weary, or a little wary of it, rather. And I I said, "Uh, I don't know, man. And he goes, you know, okay, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Just don't worry about it. And I said, no, I just, I'm not saying no, I just don't understand it. Let's meet for coffee and you can help me understand this thing. And he said, nah, just forget about it. You're not interested. And if you're not interested, you're probably not going to follow it. Just don't worry about it. Forget it. Okay, whatever. You know. (laughs) If I would have just said, wow, that's very kind. Thank you very much. I accept. That gift, as of this morning, would be worth $6 million. I am not making that up. One Bitcoin is worth 60 grand, just shy of it, this morning. He was going to give me 100, back when they were worth like a buck. (laughs) So I had to apologize to Debbie that we're still relatively wealthy and happy. Uh, um, (sighs) We're not poor by any definition of the word. But I know that I have a lot to learn about how to heal from poverty. But I have a lot, a long way to go before I have the same perspective on this that Jesus does. So thank you for being here today. For those of you in the room, welcome. I'm glad you're here. For those of you watching online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate you doing that today. Uh, if you attended for the first time, either last Sunday here on site or online, just I want to. I just so hope that you're going to get out of this series everything we've tried to put into it. I'm grateful that you're here, and just want to say thank you and and thank you for coming back. Um, last Sunday we started a new series called the Recovery Room. And for about six weeks, we're considering how Jesus heals us from all the trauma that we've experienced over the last year. Today, we're going to talk about how Jesus heals us from poverty. So if you've got your Bibles, open them to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41. Mark 12, 41. While you're doing that, I want to note one correction in your bulletin. Uh, Please continue to be in prayer for Patty Ferguson and her family and the loss of her mother, Samiko. After the bulletin went to print... Uh, we found out that the times for the visitation and service were different than we'd originally been told. So uh, the visitation will be April 17th, same day, but from 1 to 3 p.m., and the funeral service will be at 3 p.m., okay? So that's different than what's in your bulletin. That's a change. want you to be aware of that. Please keep uh, the Ferguson family in your prayers. 
Today, we're talking about recovering from poverty. And before we get into the text, I think we need to spend some time listening to folks who are working to help people heal from poverty. Watch. Thanks so much for being here today. I've got a couple special guests with me, and we're going to talk about healing from poverty. Uh, do you guys want to tell the church who you are and what you do? So my name is Anthony Reese, and this is my wife, Jess Reese. Uh, for work, I uh, have a, a small business, a handyman business, and um, Jess is an environmental attorney. Um, for the church, we work with the high school ministry where we met in 1998, and um, we are uh, teaching the Financial Peace University this year. Okay. You're teaching FPU, and uh, that class starts this week. You can still sign up, all right? If, if you're like, what? I missed it. You can still do that. So um, tell me, guys, about your story. Uh, how did this, the teaching that you get from going through that experience help you? And, and really, I guess what I really want to know is just by, by getting rid of debt and, and healing from your own personal poverty, how have you experienced shalom? Um. Well, to talk about the Financial Peace University just a little bit, um, I was introduced to uh, Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover as I was graduating from college with loads of student loans. And, uh, you know, we were early in our marriage and just trying to figure out, you know, how we were supposed to, you know, be the church while also be laden with debt. And so um, I wasn't doing a great job um, just trying to figure out our finances. And, but I was, you know, trying to follow these baby steps and um so we first took the financial peace class when we were in vermont for my law school and um, we were about halfway through law school and um, already pretty far in debt but with more that we had to take on in order to finish and so we took the class and and we kind of realized what we were getting ourselves into and just the the burden that we would have with all of this debt that we would have when we came out of law school. But we knew that it was the right thing to do, so we kept forging forward. But as soon as we got done, we really just came together and worked really hard to get rid of all that debt and to pay off not only the student loans, but also our house um, as well. And just the, the process of working together on that um, I mean, that's, that's our story. That's, that's who we are as a couple. Yeah, yeah. And this whole process really, it, it unified us. You know, knowing that we were on the same page in terms of our place in the church and what we wanted to contribute, um, it made it very difficult to move forward with those, uh, with those initiatives laden with debt. And so uh, this process really unified us and um, brought us to a whole new uh, place in our marriage. Thank you, guys. That, that's awesome. Um, I'm just, I'm kind of curious how, you know, just in your daily lives, in your work, in your neighborhood, uh, how you see the effects of poverty play out, uh, just what that looks like um, just as you go about your daily life, and, and how maybe your story helps, can help other people. Well, there's two types of poverty that, that I see in my work. Um, the main one, obviously, is um, sometimes... When your house breaks down, um, it's not really something that you planned for. So, you, you know, your kitchen sink starts leaking and it's ruining your cabinets and ruining your floor. Your question shouldn't be, 
do I fix the sink or buy groceries this week? So there's obviously a financial poverty that I encounter on a regular basis, but also, you know, there's a poverty of community, uh, community. you know, there's a poverty of, there's loneliness that I encounter where um, sometimes people, you know, come up with things so that they have somebody to talk to. So, you know, our text today is the story about the, the widow who comes to the temple and, and uh, puts in the very last little bit of money in the, in the world that she had and receives a, a blessing, a benediction from Jesus. Um, when you guys read that story, what, tell me about what God's doing in your heart. How are you responding to that, that text in the Gospels? So I think of two things. One, um, I know for me, when we were going through paying off all of our debt, the church went through the Excel in the Grace of Giving sermon. And it was really hard for me to go through that at that time because I just felt like I had no money to give and I wanted to give. Um, but I, I had this huge mountain of student loan debt that I had to pay off. And so, um, you know, what I was able to put into the plate um, in, in the analogy of the sermon was that I... Um, set a goal for myself to volunteer for 100 hours a year after that Excel in the Grace of Giving ser um, sermon series because I had time. I had no money, but I had time. And so um, it's not about necessarily giving your last finances, but you know, giving the, the next thing that you can give, giving the next thing that you have able to give. Um, so that's, that's, what it, that's what it teaches me, um, and that's what I think. But I also think that... Um, you know, we don't get to hear the rest of the story. Like in, it says that she gave her last two coins, but in theory, like she continued living after that, right? We get to believe that that's part of the story as well, um, that she was provided for, even though she technically gave the last thing she had to live on. The church or someone or Jesus's praise for her gave her the opportunity to continue living and continue with that um, generous heart that she had uh, continue living and continue doing God's work. Yeah, what she was doing was responding to a call for, for contribution. What she had was um, was you know two cents to give. Um, sometimes that's more than we have to offer. You know, um, in FPU we see people from all walks of life, and some people aren't just at zero; they're way below zero. And so what they have maybe isn't money to give the church, but they have time or they have a talent, an expertise that they can contribute while they're working to get their finances in order. So sometimes it isn't always, you know, what you can put in the tithe plate, but what you can put into the community. That's so good. Um, so we're offering Financial Peace University. That's a part of it. Um, there are other kinds of poverty, obviously. So what can the capital C church uh, do to help people come out of poverty and to heal from it and really experience shalom. Just what, are, what have you guys been seeing? What are ways that, that we as a church can come together and help people heal from poverty and experience wholeness? Well, Financial Peace University isn't just about getting rich. It's not just about um, having you know, your debt go away so that you can you know, do whatever you want with your time and in your life. It's about freeing yourself up from financial bondage so that you can live a more purpose-driven life, so that you can live the life that, that God has called us to live. And so the, the church uh, as a community is called to look out for one another. You know, we're here to build into each other's lives. And you can't know if the person sitting next to you in the pew 
you can't know that they're in financial uh, poverty unless you're in their community. You have to know them in order for, them, for you to see the opportunity to build into their lives. So we as the church have the opportunity to get to know one another, to be in tighter community with one another so that we can fill in and you know, fill in that brokenness that each of us shares. And also the church is meant to fill in the poverty of connection um, that we can have, that we are here for each other, not just financially, but when you just need to talk to someone about something, um, the, the big C church is, is supposed to be there for that. Um, and we as individual members of the big C church are, are meant to fill in those gaps for poverty and to be ready to give financially like the woman in the story but also be ready to give with our time of listening to someone with our car for giving a ride with you know all of these little things that seem kind of inconsequential but are i mean that's that's community that's what community is wow okay good stuff let's dig into this a little bit more thank you Anthony and Jess for sharing your story and for serving Jesus the way that you do. If you want to sign up for FPU, you can do that in the lobby uh, this morning. If you're watching online, um, you can do that on our website. Uh, or if nothing else, just send us an email at the office and we'll be sure to get, to get you connected that way. Um, Jesus healing us from poverty is this huge subject, right? We're, we're, <laughs> we're barely going to skip a rock across the surface of the lake today. But if I was going to try to distill it down into one thought, it would be this. That Jesus heals us from poverty by correcting our understanding of it and providing what we need most. That's today's big idea. That Jesus heals us from poverty by correcting our understanding of it and providing what we need most. The struggles of the last year have exposed a great deal of poverty, and not all of it is financial, as you heard about in the video. There's a poverty of money, sure. We, you know, the government's been just handing it out because there's a lack. For many deemed essential workers, though, there was a poverty of time. You know, they had to work long hours to get us through the pandemic. Our daughter, Emma, was an essential worker at Aldi. She was not allowed to come home for Christmas. Aldi told her, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, you cannot leave. Nobody gets time off. We need you. We don't have enough people. You have to be here. And so we, didn't, we had to, um, you know, FaceTime with Emma on Christmas Day because she wasn't allowed to come home. So we all had to grow up a little bit that day because it's not fair. Um, you know, for others, they've been, they've been there's, as, as you heard in the video, there's a poverty of community. They were isolated from friends and family. Some of you maybe only recently have gotten to see family in the flesh that you hadn't seen in a year. Others were isolated because of a very bitter national election cycle. There's a poverty of community that's going on. And I think Jesus wants us to heal from all of that. Now, the Bible uses different words for poor and poverty. The meaning of the word in our text today is describing some kind of lack, some, something that's not there and it, it should be, but it's kind of also has the idea of you somehow missed out on something. <laughs> that's the word that Jesus is going to use. And what's interesting to me is that the, the, while the reasons for 
or the direct causes of poverty are oftentimes vague in the Bible. It's not always nailed down. Many passages use language that indicates that the poor are, not always, but generally speaking, victims of a toxic combination of greed and economic and political corruption. If you want to look at the root causes of poverty, when you look at it a little bit in Proverbs, every now and then it's just raw laziness. Why is he poor? He won't work. That's why. But those are far and away the minority in the Bible. The vast majority of the reasons behind poverty in Scripture is a toxic combination of individual greed and economic or political corruption. And those things go, I mean, they're like hand in hand. All through Scripture. All right? So recent research from Compassion International backs that up. That hasn't changed since the time of of Scripture's writing. This is not the way that God has designed us to live. All right, he wants us to heal from this. So how does that happen? Well, I think there are three steps. And I want you to look for them as we read the text together this morning. Look with me at Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. By the way, the place that they're putting them, it was like a, a wooden strong box like locked, but it had like the, a trumpet. So you look over there, like the French horn over there you can see on the thing. So it, it had that on top of it, right? So when you threw in your money, clang, it would make a sound as it dropped in. Some of you remember going to like um, like a, a Chuck E. Cheese or pizza, uh, like a showbiz pizza, and they had the thing where you put the quarter in it and it down, down. It was like that, only a little smaller, right? And there are 13 of these, we, we know from history, scattered around the court of the women, so the outer court of the temple. That's where Jesus is. It says, many rich people threw in large amounts. Clang, 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 clang. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. The word that's used there is lepton. Mark describes it for the, the, the people because they would have understood. It was, it was, it was about a, a two-thirds the size of a dime. It's how, a tiny, tiny little coin. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So how does Jesus heal us from poverty? I think there are three steps. Here's the first one. Number one, step one, he sees your need. He sees your need. There are a couple details in the text that really highlight this. Like I said, Jesus is in the court of the women. There's these boxes scattered around, and there's a pl- he just sits opposite one of those boxes. Maybe he's just tucked into a corner. The text says he called his disciples to him, so he's probably there by himself. In a rare moment where Jesus is alone, and he's just watching. He's observing people. And sometimes, church, this is a bit of a side lesson. It's not in the notes, but I'm just going to tell you. Sometimes if you really want to be like Jesus, just watch people. Pay attention to others. He was really good at that. Mark says Jesus watched the crowd. The word watch is one that meant to observe something with focused attention at length. He, he really is paying very close attention here. 
So this woman is getting focused and undivided attention from Jesus. The second detail in the text is that Mark tells us that she's a poor widow. Now you need to understand there's a little bit of doublespeak going on there. All right? In Jesus' day and time, there weren't any rich widows. They didn't exist. It was was functionally unheard of in that day. So for him to say she's a poor widow, she is poor. All widows were poor, but she's extra poor. All right? That's the, the point here. Jesus sees her. He sees her need. And a big part of the way that Jesus heals us from poverty is giving us the realization that he actually sees our need. He sees our lack. He sees the hollow places in our lives. So many of the horrible effects of poverty come from people believing the lie that nobody sees them, that they're not valued, that they're not important. Sometimes we want to know, what do we do to the homeless guy begging on the corner when we're downtown? Uh, can Can I give you a suggestion? Ask them what their name is. Greet them. You don't always have to give them money. That may not be the answer. It might help. I've done that before. Deb and I were on a date down there. Guy came up and told us his story. He might have been completely lying, but God had provided some money for me. It was more than I needed that night. Here. Sometimes that's what you do. But the first thing I did, if I, I don't like to do this very often, but I think I did this right that night. What's your name? God wants you to see them. The first step in healing you from poverty, and whether it's a poverty of money or a poverty of time or a poverty of a relationship, is to understand that Jesus sees you. He sees that need. He understands it. He is aware. And he wants to heal you. See, there's a great comfort that's given to the church. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, To the angel of the church at Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Look at this. I know your afflictions and your poverty. Jesus is telling the church, I see where you lack. And the first step in him healing it is you becoming aware that he knows about it. Earlier I mentioned the research that Compassion International is doing on the source and sources really of poverty. And one of the biggest things that they've found is that those trapped in cycles of poverty have believed a lie that they have very little worth. That they go unnoticed, that they go unseen. And and this is one of the things, church, that I think why it's so important for us to advance a Christian worldview because a Christian worldview says you are made in the image of God. You have worth. The end. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter what your family did for a living. You have worth because you're made in God's image, period, full stop, the end. And the Christian worldview advances this notion that literally destroys one of the root causes of poverty that people feel unseen, unnoticed, uncared about. Jesus sees where you lack. That's the first step. You you knowing that is the first step in him healing you. We could probably do a better job at this church. That's number one. Here's step number two. He clarifies your definition. He clarifies your definition. Jesus notes very carefully that the woman puts in two very small copper coins. 
They were the smallest coins used in the Roman Empire. They were worth, I'm not making this up, this sounds made up, it's not. They were worth 1 64th of a day's wage. So for those of you familiar with your Bible and you've heard of a denarius, one day's wage, it was worth 1 64th of that, about eight minutes worth of work in an eight-hour workday. Now, in the Bible, they worked way more than eight hours a day. (laughs) Most workdays were 12 hours um, in this day and time. But in our modern society, it would be worth about eight minutes worth of work. Pennies, in most cases. It's all she has. It's all she's got. So Jesus calls his disciples over to him. Maybe in God's sovereignty, they weren't there because it would have intimidated her to have 13 men watching her do this. I don't know. Like, maybe that's why. We don't know. The 12... Generally, as you read about them in the Bible, they're impressed with the temple. Like, and it was, you, got, you need to know, the temple of Herod was covered in gold. It was blinged out to the max. There's we- like prolific wealth on display everywhere around them. In fact, the 12 often said to Jesus, wow, do you see that? Wow, wow, wow. Of course, all, all but one of them were from Galilee, so they're like rednecks in the city, right? Like, look at this. Oh, anyway, I don't know. Um, they were impressed. But Jesus makes a contact, contrast between the many rich people and this poor widow and says that she put in more. Now, there's a significant wordplay that's happening here in the text that we miss in translation. In the original text, the words threw in large amounts in verse 441 are the exact same words as put in more in verse 44. There's a wordplay happening. So Mark is telling us that, that Jesus is, is saying that the, the wealthy, they, they put in a lot. Clang, 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 clang. And then she gets up there and it's her turn. Dink, dink. That's more, God says. She put in more. Same words. Except the order is reversed. The word more is first, which in the Greek language indicates probably some emphasis there. What Jesus is doing here is changing and clarifying his disciples' definition of true poverty. He's teaching them that some forms of poverty are actually avenues of laying up treasures in heaven, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. So many times we have this this completely holistic view of it, like poverty bad, making big bucks good, And Jesus wants to clarify your definition a little bit. Can I indulge my nerdiness for a second? Will you you go with me for just a moment? In the return of the king, the lady of Rohan, Eowyn, is recovering after defeating the witch king in battle, and she says something really profound. She says, it is not always good to be healed in body, nor is it always evil to die in battle, even in bitter pain. It is not always good to be healed in body, nor is it always evil to die in battle, even in bitter pain. In a land with such um, abundant blessings of peace and prosperity and freedom, in a land where people all over the world still dream of coming to this place, in a land where despite all our faults, the American dream is still possible, if you don't believe that, read Dr. Ben Carson's story. This is a hard lesson to learn. 
God uses a poverty of money to heal us from the delusion that we don't need him. God uses a poverty of time to heal us from the effects of trying to pretend that we are not mortal. God uses a poverty of relationship to heal us from the misconception that we don't need each other. He's clarifying your definition of what real poverty is. And Jesus says that the one who trusts in his own wealth to protect him from the common fate of all mankind and the one who believes that he or she is sufficient unto themselves, Jesus says that person is poor. He clarifies the definition. He tweaks our understanding and that continues the healing process. There's one more step. That he provides what has real value. A later tradition that, that describes this, there being 13 of these receptacles, um, describes the process that, that would happen. They'd come in, they'd give their gift. And, and just like Jess said in the video, she would not have starved to death. The temple and the synagogues had social services kind of built into the thing. Here's the thing that I never really, I guess I never really realized. The officials over the temple would not have used her gift well. They would have squandered it. It's inconsequential to them. It wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have made a difference. They weren't accountable to anybody for how they used it. They wouldn't even notice. This powerless, poor woman acts in good faith and gives everything she has. And to that extent, she is, she is the greatest giver in God's eyes. And therefore, he pronounces a blessing on her that all the money in the world can't buy. And that has real value. She wouldn't have starved to death that there would have been a way to provide for her. What, what's happening in this text, especially for those of us who love a happy ending, is that Jesus doesn't walk over to her after everyone has, the crowd has dissipated and slip some gold coins into her hand, does he? Now, we want the story to end that way because we love a happy ending. We'd love to read in the next verse that Jesus walked over when no one was looking and kind of manifested some gold into her purse. Doesn't happen. We want to know that when she went home, like her pantry was full of food. We don't hear that. You know, she doesn't have a Ruth and Boaz kind of story. Some rich old dude comes and says, hey, would you be my wife? Nope. What she does get, you can't buy. What she does earn, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates together could not acquire. She has the commendation of Jesus himself. She has God's approval. You can't buy that. Listen to me. God does not count money. He counts sacrifice. He counts trust. The widow's gift was accounted the greatest because it showed the deepest sacrifice and the greatest trust the greatest dependence on God as provider. Part of the way that God heals us from poverty is leading us into a journey of trusting him more. This is what the health and wealth preachers get wrong. They assume that giving big bucks is the pathway to having more. It's not. It's not a bad thing. The New Testament standard is not a number, it's generosity. 
It's holding your stuff in an open hand, be it time or relationships or money. If you get out of debt, you're able to give in a profound way. That's not the lesson here. That's not how God heals you from poverty. The way he does it is to provide what has real value, a heart like Jesus. That's what heals you. As you learn to surrender everything to the Lord, yes, your money, but also your time and your relationships, as you surrender everything over to him, he provides you with a pervasive sense of his approval and his presence, and that's worth way more than Bitcoin. A couple weeks ago, Emma and Eli both were home for spring break, and it was great to have all of our kids under the same roof again. For a few days. It was delightful. So I was like, all right, I'm taking a vacation day. We're going to get away. We're going to go do something fun as a family. And so I, I took a vacation day and we planned a family hike at Turkey Run. Uh, threat of rain all day. It held off until we were all finished. It was perfect. Absolutely perfect. Park was, we kind of had the place to ourselves. It was fantastic. Uh, all the kids were excited, especially our youngest, Ephraim, but I think it's because he had an ulterior motive. You see, on one of those unseasonably warm days back in February, we went to McCormick's Creek State Park for a family hike. Um, we got away a little later than we had hoped, though, in the morning, and it was almost lunchtime, and I said, let's just stop at McDonald's and grab some food, and we'll just eat on the way. He remembered that. So the whole time we're hiking, he's asking for McDonald's. So we're, we get out of the van, at McDonald's? No, buddy, later. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> uh, this one. So it's hard to say no to. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm getting better at it. But um, Donald's? No, not, not McDonald's. So we go over a, a, a bend in the, in the park. Donald's? No, there's no McDonald's out here, son. You go around a bend. Donald's? Like, not now. Just wait. <laughs> he goes, me want Donald's. I know. <laughs> This went on for hours. We got all done hiking. Everybody was tired. So we stopped in Crawfordsville for McDonald's. This little Yahoo inhaled it. I don't think he tasted it. Just hoovered that stuff. Now, here's the thing. We had just gotten the stimulus a few days before that. You know how big my family is. It was a good-sized deposit. I could have taken him to any burger place in central Indiana. I could have bought him the best burger he'd ever have in his life. And he asked for McDonald's. It's my son. Did he need McDonald's? No, nobody needs McDonald's. Except maybe the people who work there, right? But my child was hungry. Now, it was within my power to provide more and vastly better than he was asking for. But it gave me joy to get rid of the lack in his life. I saw his need I tried to help him understand it better just because we're hiking doesn't mean you get McDonald's. And then when he was really hungry, I provided what he needed, food. 
if you want to heal from poverty, you don't need to invent a time machine and go back in time and buy Bitcoin. Though if you figure that out, please let me know. Or stock in Amazon. Instead, you need to trust that Jesus sees your need. He understands what it really is and he tries to help you see it his way and then know that he will provide what you need most. See, that's what I've been telling you. Jesus heals us from poverty by correcting our understanding of it and providing what we need most. And he's calling you, church, into that mission with him in our community. What do you need most today? Maybe you have a poverty of money and need God to provide. Well, you might get very effective tools to help that in FPU. Maybe that's what you need to do. Is when we're done today, go out there and sign up. Maybe you have a poverty of relationship and need a friend. You know, in the video, they talked about having a poverty of community. People call Anthony over for a pretty minor job just to have somebody to talk to. And if, if, if that's where you're at, y'all, we've got various groups that you can be part of to, to build that connection. Maybe you have a poverty of soul today. And you came in pretty, pretty beat up and not knowing about your eternity. And I want, to, I want you to know today that Jesus heals you from that. And that if you're his follower, one day you're going to walk streets of gold and wear a crown. Now, out of worship, you're going to lay it at his feet in glory. But that's what awaits those of us who are in Christ. And if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I want to urge you to do that as we sing. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and you respond as God leads you today. Let's sing together.